Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. Obviously, such a fun time to be a tennis fan on the professional side. The clay swing is in full effect. We have the back-to-back Masters in Rome and Madrid taking up our time there. And for that sort of tennis, if that's what you want to hear about, check out our other podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, our daily pod doing the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the professional world. So we've got that angle covered. Always our website, CrackedRackets.com, talking about a bunch of cool things. I believe there's an article out now with some statistics about the transition to or what we We've seen through this point of the season how that's affected things there. Uh, but obviously, on the podcast note, we have been thrilled with the NCAA quarterfinals in Orlando coming up this weekend on our Cracked Interviews feed. I've had the chance to interview a ton of great uh, members of teams still alive. We had Barbotzer of Wake Forest today. Just got the chance to talk to Virginia's Henrik Wiersholm. Obviously, that's always fun for me, so be on the lookout for that and much more throughout the week. But we're obviously aware with the quarterfinals upon us, we have to do a breakdown. You guys want to hear our prediction. You guys want to know what to expect coming into the weekend. So joining me to break down all of the action, I have two special guests because that's how thrilled we are about the round. I'm not trying to say I prefer one of you over the other, but we'll just go by straight experience. Joining us, as he always does for our NCAA preview action, you know his work from collegetennisranks.com. Obviously, he had a disappointing round of 16 weekend, but nevertheless, he persisted as he is my mother's favorite podcast guest, Chris Halioris. Hey, great shot, and welcome back to the show. How are you feeling? Hey, I'm I'm feeling good. Obviously, a, a bad weekend for me, but uh, you know, and, and it's okay if you say Luke is you know your favorite, not your mom's favorite. That's okay. <laughs> That's true. But with Mother's Day being as close as it was, I felt like I'll give her the nod there. But also joining us today, as Chris mentioned, a now third third time returning guest to our cracked interviews or our cracked rackets podcast feed. You know, three time national champion, doubles all American, Luca Corintelli. Hey, great shot, and welcome back to the show. Yep, happy to be back. I think I had a little bit of a better weekend being a Virginia fan. Sorry, Chris. And I will say, uh, in terms of hearing back from fans, I heard back from someone in the tennis community who spoke very highly about your last appearance, Luca, so we really appreciate having you back. Great to hear. Again, excited to be back. (laughs) Of course. Well, then, uh, as I mentioned, the round of 16, what a blast that was. Much like we did last time, we're going to break down those matches, preview our quarterfinal rounds, try not to predict too far in advance. That way, you know, later in the weekend, we can go back on our takes in case anything new happens. But uh, again, we're going to do 10 minutes a section. Uh, Sound good to you guys? It works. Sounds great. All right. With that, then, let's rock and roll. Westoff, if you could, give me a, a clock sound effect, please. So obviously, with Luca being here, the place we have to start, uh, number four seed and defending champion Wake Forest in a conference battle is going to be taking on number five seed, University of Virginia. Uh, for our listeners who don't know, in, in their first round action, uh, Wake Forest knocks out first Morgan State, then they lose the doubles point, beat Kentucky 4-1, lose the doubles point again in the round of 16 before going to a dominant performance in singles, winning that match 4-1. Uh, 
for Virginia, things a little bit different. Uh, they cruise against St. John, but then they've had really two tough matches. Uh, South Carolina, they beat 4-1, but a couple deuce points go a different way, and they would have still been out there playing for a little bit while longer. Then in their match for Stanford this weekend, a ton of uh, weather of impacting the ma- the match. They start outside. Virginia goes out to a comfortable lead. Then they make the move indoors in the Boar's Head Stadium. Uh, obviously, Virginia's had so much success there over the years, but Stanford makes a pushback. Virginia ends up making that final push, winning the match 4-2. I started with you for the intro, Chris, so this time we'll start with Luca. Uh, for your Cavaliers, what does it say to you that they were able to overcome that sort of weather adversity, get a 4-2 win over a good Stanford team? Yeah, I thought it was a really, really good win. Um, there was a lot of adversity, like you mentioned, in the match. Um, you know, aside from the weather, uh, within each one of the matches, there was a ton of, you know, stuff going on. Obviously, I'm sure you guys know, but Carl was up um, 6-0-5-0 against Geller. I'm pretty sure it was 6 0 um, Lost the second set, was able to rebound from that and, and win in a dominant third set. So that's not an easy feat um, by no means. So obviously that the swing of the match in general, um, going back and forth. And then, like you said, going from uh, outdoors to indoors, um, playing with that pressure and, um, you know, being at home and wanting to obviously uh, come through for the fans is, is not easy. So Stanford's a really good team up and down the lineup. So for them to get through that in the way they did, um, I think it's going to help them out going into the quarters against Wake. And Chris, in terms of the match calculus, when we were pre- previewing the round of 16, we said, you know, if Virginia is able to get the doubles point, that would do numbers for them. Now they were able to do that. We saw a bit of a shuffled doubles lineup for them. I mean, match calculus-wise, did anything shock you from that result? And what did you think about the revamped Virginia dubs lineup? No, not really. I mean, obviously, as Luca alluded to, though, I mean, that's the shocking thing in that match was, was the 6-love, 5-love lead that, that Carl had. And then you know, it, more amazing to me is when you drop seven straight games after that to lose that set seven five, and it, then he just turns around and wins six one in the third. I mean, that takes uh, you know most most people at that point, you know, you can mail it in. Uh, but uh, but no, I think once they got the doubles point, they they were looking really good. It was going to be tough for Stanford to find four singles matches against them. Yeah, and I think we saw that the way, you know, Ashwin Leeson at 6 was able to get a 7-6 set. Henrik uh, at 3 was able to get a 7-6 set. Now that I've interviewed him, I don't mind calling him by his first name. Uh, So we saw them, you know, make a push there. Uh, but I, I feel like there's not even much to say about the Wake Forest result. Yeah, they lost a number, another doubles point, but you know in singles they're obviously as tough as any uh, and out as any team in the draw. They get wins, I believe, at one, uh, two, five, and six. And just I guess when we're as we start to preview this quarterfinal matchup. Luca, how much do you think it means to both teams that this is going to be their fourth matchup coming into this one? Um, I think I think I mentioned it last time when we spoke, but you know, there aren't going to be any secrets in this match. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same matchups as in the ACC final. Um, Pedroso and Bresky know each other really well. Um, a lot of the matchups are going to be somewhat comfortable because there aren't going to be any surprises. Um, but on top of that, you know, there have been wins on both sides. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, who's going to come out hot. I think the doubles point is going to be huge uh, on Thursday. Uh, it's obviously going to set the tone for the rest of the match, but um, it's pretty even up and down the lineup, and it's going to be who shows up that day and is able to handle the pressure of playing in Elite Eight. So uh, I'm really excited to watch. 
And you're looking at all of the matchups throughout, as Luca mentioned. Uh, these guys have all played each other before. In fact, they played in the ACC final. Virginia takes the doubles point there. Kind of had uh, Wake on the on the break when uh, Brandon was up a set in 5-0, 5-1 against Petros. You know, Henrik working his way back against Barr, but then Wake Forest takes that 4-2. Uh, early in the year, they traded home and homes. Virginia beat them in Charlottesville after losing the doubles point 5-2. Wake Forest returns the favor by winning their home match against Virginia 6-1. Chris, I guess, again, uh, Luca mentioned it. These guys are not strangers to one another. They're aware of the matchups. They've all faced uh, each other before. Uh, Some of them, this is going to be their fourth encounter. Just what do you see as, you know, I feel like doubles isn't even important to Wake Forest, but then you look at it and Virginia has beaten Wake Forest despite losing the doubles point. If you're, you know, crafting match calculuses for each team, what's that going to look like? So in my mind, I actually like the Virginia lineup better when they beat them with, you know, from a from a matchup standpoint, when they had Weir's home at two and Nakashima at three, because now with Nakashima at two, granted, he was up a set and five one on, on Petros, right? But, and, couldn't close it out and that's just going to be a tough tough win to get against Petros at two and then uh and then I like not I like Nakashima's chances with bots are better so I think that's a little bit tougher for him obviously they won five two earlier in the year but in the last two matches they haven't taken more than one singles match so uh so like you said yeah Wake probably you know they probably feel you know better than Virginia that they could get by without the doubles um but uh, and I, and I do kind of think vir- that Virginia really needs the doubles point. Uh, but Soderlund's been, you know, he's he's won two of the three times that they've played. Uh, and and granted, it's Glow, but I, you, you got to like his chances at one. I, I think for Virginia, to me, that match calculus probably looks like doubles one, five and six. Uh, I think it's going to be tough at two, three, and four. Not that they can't get any of those, but those are definitely going to be tough spots for them. Luca, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think Virginia's obviously going to would benefit a lot from winning the doubles point. Um, you know, obviously Brandon playing Petros and having a massive lead, not closing, um, is going to be somewhat challenging because uh, it's going to loom in the back of his, any athlete's head at that point, but. At the same time, Petros has been so dominant for so long. Just to go into a match thinking like, hey, you know, this guy had Petros, one of the best tennis players in college for the last four years on the ropes, was a couple of points away. Um, you know, I think that Brandon's mature enough, even though he's a 17-year-old freshman. I think that's going to help out, and I actually think they have a chance at two. Um, Brandon is a hell of a player and um, obviously has shown that he's capable of putting himself in a position to beat Petros. So, um, I personally think, obviously, doubles. Um, I think they have equal chances at one. Obviously, Carl's been in Borna, Borna before, so that's going to be a toss-up. You're going to have to show up and play well. Uh, Brandon, it's going to be challenging, but he has a chance at two. And then I like Ash at six and um, Gianni at four. I know Gianni has um, been a little bit up and down over the last couple of weeks and in general this season, but uh, trained a lot in Orlando. He's familiar with those courts. Um, and I just feel like he's bound to have um, a good match. So I'm probably going to go with that. 
I would say Gianni Ross is the swing player in this match. And the reason I mentioned that, you look in that doubles performance, for him and Will to get a win over Stanford at three doubles, win that doubles point with those two, and then Henrik and Brandon at one, uh, that's huge for him, even though he loses his singles match. And yeah, you look at their results with Wake Forest earlier in the year, the match they win, Gianni gets a... gets a win in singles uh, over Estafalu, 7-6-6-2. In the next two matches, he loses in three to Kungu. Then, obviously, in the ACC final, you know, Kungu got up, got him pretty good, 2-2. Two and two. I think if they're able to get Gian Eno to battle, because this guy is talented, as good of a background as any player on paper, we know what he's capable of. That's a real swing performance for them, because the margins are really that thin. I mean, up and down the lineup, all of these guys so good, but it's really that Kungu Ross match Kungu 17 and 8 on the year Gianni 14 and 7 uh you know bottom of the lineup is where your marbles are made so um I, I don't know uh Chris any final thoughts on this matchup yeah I think well I, I'm I will say if, if Gianni can win at four then I, I like their chances I don't yeah I mean it's that's going to be a tough one he like like Lucas said he's, he's been up and down he hasn't had you know he's he got. He didn't play all that great against Samir. He got beat up by Kangu in the tournament in the ACC tournament. So if he can turn it around and come back and win, and and maybe the fact that he is used to the courts, so what? And the, and that's going to be one difference. I don't know if either team is more uh, more apt to play better. You know, once they get in the heat, but that's one of the when you get down to Orlando, it's going to be hot, humid, and you know that could affect some guys if you get into some long matches. And I don't know. You know, I don't know who's going to be better suited for for a long grind, but but it could definitely play a part. Well, then, yeah, and both teams actually both teams actually played against Central Florida in Orlando this season. Um, I know Wake squeaked one out four three against UCF, and yeah. I think Virginia might have beaten UCF four two. But again, the conditions are different there, um, so it's going to obviously add another element. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who's who's fitter. I I talked to Ty earlier today. We've been training there this week. And he said it's extremely hot, so it obviously makes it a little bit different um, playing in those conditions. And I do want to talk about those conditions in a second, so hold that thought. But let's wrap up this Wake Forest-Virginia thing. Luca, I know which way you're leaning, but give me an actual scoreline. Virginia-Wake Forest, who you got? I go Virginia 4-3. Ooh, I like it. Who's the clincher? Uh, I will say Carl clinches um, over Gojo. I love it. Chris? Oh, you know, I have to go the other direction. Just, just I'll play Gruskin, right? So, so they've they've got the last two. I'll I'll take Wake. I don't I don't I don't have. I actually think Virginia will take the doubles point, and if they do, then I'll say it's going to be a four three match, and I'll go I'll go four three, uh, I'll go four three Wake with Petros clinching in a third late. Ooh, I like that. I also love the botzer Weirsholm matchup at three, not only because both came on the Cracked Interviews podcast, which you listeners can go check out, but because it's just going to be a high level of tennis. We saw, you know, 7-5, seven, 7-6 seven, clinching match. Am I allowed to not make a pick, or would you guys be angry by that? Oh, come on. You're taking the tabs, and you know it. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. I well, mean, they're your team. You can't disrespect your guests. Yeah. Come on. Look, I love Petros. I love Barr. I love Coach Bresky. All great, correct interviews, guests. Of course, I'm riding with my who's. 4-3 Henrik clinches. Um, but all right. Yeah, but all right. With that in mind, quick tangent before we get into our next one, because I know, Luca, you have to go, but I want your thoughts. You've played in Tulsa. You've played, uh, I'm trying to think where you're, in Baylor. You played, where was it, your final year in Georgia. So you understand, you know, and I think everyone understands NTAs very rarely is going to be at your home site last year's Wake forest run being the exception um but what do you think about all these teams going to orlando for the first time that being a different environment the weather the conditions being different will that play a factor on how these teams you know prepare and approach this week yeah i think for sure um especially because going to orlando it's it's going to be really really hot and you know normally you'll go to a sweet 16 match especially being one of the higher seeds um you know previous years the sweet 16 is at one neutral site um, and so you have maybe one match to sort of ease into some of those conditions. Starting in the Elite Eight, every single match is going to be as intense as it gets. And to go into new conditions, going to be very hot. Orlando plays pretty slow and high bouncing. So naturally, that means it's going to be more physical. It's going it, to, there are some teams that are going to be exposed by these conditions for sure. Um, and obviously, you can't rush any of the preparation that goes into being ready for those types of conditions. And, We'll see who's been working, who's, you know, put in the hours um, over the season to be able to handle these conditions. And um, there's no way to hide from the floor to eat. And do you think the round of 16, we kind of talked about this last time, being the way it was, is that going to, you think, have a negative effect on these teams? And also, in general, now that the round of 16 has played out, you kind of got to see it from afar. Did you like that the round of 16 was another home match for, you know, those communities that are able to embrace college tennis? That was a loaded question, but answer as you'd like. Yeah, I think, um, you know, heading into the elite, I I think it's going to be, gosh, because I remember whenever we play Sweet 16 matches every single year, I wouldn't say it felt uncomfortable or awkward, but, like, there is that adjustment period in just playing a very, very high-pressure match. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, Tulsa. Yeah, exactly. Exactly (laughs) that one. Even though we came out well in doubles point and squashed them in doubles, like, there is an adjustment period within the first 20 minutes of the match, so... Again, it's going to be the same thing for everybody. Um, so it's just going to be who can handle that adversity. Uh, going on to the second part of the question, again, I said it last time. I prefer having the Sweet 16 uh, matches all at the same site, especially because of the timing of the year. Um, a lot of times, like, people are already gone from campus. Um, while I saw Baylor had an insane crowd, just in general, I feel like it'd be easier for tennis fans to just go to one spot um, make the atmosphere super super special from the first uh, ball struck in the Sweet 16. I feel like some venues were popping, and then the other ones were maybe a little uh, here and there in terms of uh, fan turnout. So personal opinion, but I think, again, as long as the NCAA is just trying to keep innovating the sport and, and making changes and playing around with it, I think it's it'll hopefully be good for the sport. Chris, you were in Starkville where, and again, I say this lovingly, one of two places there was an upset. Do you think it was a different crowd environment? Obviously, Mississippi State has so much success there over the years. Did you think the crowd, you know, was as enthusiastic as ever? What do you think of the format? Yeah, I think, and I had posted recently, I'm still kind of in the wait and see. I think, and I I don't know if it's the, if it was the norm everywhere. I think in Starkville, and like Lucas said, that was, that was, that's a great point. Based on the time of year, 
most of the students are already gone. So you're down to, you, you don't have the student crowd now. Now you've got basically the community crowd in there. Um, and the crowd from a size standpoint, they draw a good crowd every match there. Uh, and it was a, it was about the same size uh, crowd, but it was probably a little different makeup where you had more locals and less students uh, in the crowd. But, uh, you know, if, if it managed to get big crowds everywhere, then, and like Lucas said, Hey, if it, if they try it out for a couple of years and see how it works and just, you know, and make a call off of that, uh, you know, I think that's, that's fine. I, uh, I don't have an issue with it so much uh, as, as much as I just want to kind of see how it, how it plays out. I, I agree with both of you in that. I think it's too soon to tell one way or the other, if it's successful or not. I had no problem with it. I know, you know, some people didn't like, you have to search a bunch of different websites. There's a bunch of matches going on at the same time, as opposed to just one match, you know, at a, or maybe two matches at a time scheduled throughout the day. Like they used to do the round of 16, yeah, I don't know. Jury's still out. My, uh, it was a successful weekend. We saw a lot of, you know, a lot of top seeds, but we also got our share of upsets. So clearly, uh, it's not too lopsided one way or the other. Jury's still out, I guess, is the summary. But all right, Luca, you got time for one more? Or you got to roll. No, I got time for one more. Again, it keeps getting delayed because I'm not sure if guys are going to be able to make it to the game. So I can take it back. I could probably go another 20, 20 25 minutes or so. I love yeah, it. Well, then I'm going to I'm going to throw one more in there for you, Gresky. If we're going to keep this Sweet 16 format, where uh, where the where the hosts, the top eight, get to host one more round, someone has to make the damn Pac-12 have live scoring. <laughs> I, I refuse. I refuse to try to follow USC tennis when all there is is video and no scoring. And Stanford, you can't watch on a mobile phone unless you turn it sideways because you can't see the scores. I mean, oh, it kills me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this is all, yeah, the USC site in particular, since we're in the name of call out, I know their play site, you can do like challenge replay, but you don't have live scoring. Like, come on, I don't want to see the scoreboard. I want to watch these matches. I guess they had the little white update and like ticker in the bottom, but I agree with you, Chris. I will also say random tangent while we're on the note, what would you guys prefer as a format? And this is out there, but Sweet 16 is at one site, but rather than go by seeding, like the top seeds get to pick their opponents. So if you're the number one seed, you get to pick first and on and on and on and on, or, you know, keep the format as is. That's a good question, man. That's a really, really good question. I, I, uh, I wonder how it would work out to be honest, because, um, I don't know how many upsets, how many upsets did we see on this to this weekend? UNC over USC, and, and then the 16. You only had one. I guess is where I think where Luke is going. Illinois, I think yeah. is the only oh, top 16 to oh, lose, right? So, so yeah. So, so Ohio State would have picked Cal, and then after that, it still would have been yeah. basically the top 15. Yeah, which is which is what I'm thinking. Unless there is like, you know, obviously certain years there might be in terms of matchups, but I don't think you're going to get like too drastic of a change in terms of you know a, a one seed is not going to pick like the nine team in the country. Um, uh, but but my counterpoint would be I feel like Florida goes we want no part of Tennessee you know we are all give us someone else instead and now things open up a little bit no way Florida wanted Tennessee more than anybody <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have personal knowledge <laughs> yeah. they, they were they were hoping that the seed whether it was a 314 right. or a 413 that it lined up that way because well, a they knew they were getting back at Gainesville and they wanted that rematch bad 
Well, what if you were picking the rest of the way? What if it was like for quarterfinals, you know, Ohio State picks first, then Texas is like, we want Baylor. I don't know. I just, I'm trying to add some, some spice. Depends, though. It, it depends, though, because, like, for example, uh, my senior year, I think UNC was seated seven or eight. And mm-hmm. again, I can say this because it's been a, a few years now. We didn't, I mean, we obviously played them four times that year, and there were battles all four times. Like, we would have much rather played Georgia. We would have much rather played. Ohio State in the final, like we weren't looking at our chops to play UNC again because it was such a chamber the entire time, like every single one of the matchups, and they were an eight seed. So I think certain circumstances, like certain situations, might you know have that kind of uh, you know in terms of matchups and, and, and who teams would prefer. But I just remember 2017, like going against UNC in the final, being oh it's an eight seed, like we were not necessarily thrilled to see him again. It's part of the reason I'm so excited for Virginia Wake Forest Part Four because yeah, when you play a team that often, they know you. You guys both mentioned you know one another. You know exactly what you're going to get. The seating at that point kind of out the window. But yeah, you know, I just thought I'd throw one crazy idea at you guys because what would a GSP be without that? Uh, but so, you know, I, I'm kind of good to move on. You guys ready to talk about our next uh, quarterfinal? Yeah. yeah. All right, let's do it. West off, if you could cue the clock sound effect, please. So let's now go to our number one seed, Ohio State, who matches up with number nine, UNC, one of our two upsets on the weekend. Uh, We'll start with the Buckeyes. They knock out Cleveland State in the first round 4-0, Vanderbilt in the the second round 4-0, and then they get a a performance from a really pesky veteran Columbia team. They end up winning 4-1. Ohio State wins the doubles point. They lose at five singles. Cobalt outside, just something to keep in mind, losing to senior Tim Wang, a guy I know well, so had to give him a shout-out there. But obviously, in the end, McNally comes through, gets it in a tiebreaker. I think Joyce had been forced to a third. Seelig was still battling, so they're able to— Oh, and I think J.J. Wolf lost a set, which is always something notable to note, but he races back and wins his match. Um, let's start there because I know we're going to talk for a while about UNC, USC. Uh, you know, Luca, did you see anything from the Buckeyes this weekend particularly surprising or that you wanted to take away? Um, not necessarily surprising. I mean, they were playing at home again, comfortable. Columbia always is a tough team. I mean, they give a lot of tough teams. They seem to always play against a one or two seed, um, in the NCAA Sweet 16, and it's always a battle. Um, great, great in doubles. A lot of their guys, even down the lineup, are very, very competitive. So I wasn't necessarily shocked to see Ohio State deal with some adversity. Um, obviously, J.J. lost the first set, went, you know, breezed to the second and third. Um, and McNally got a win under his belt. But, you know, Columbia, I knew was going to give them, you know, some trouble. But, um, you know, Ohio State handled business and um, obviously moves on. But it was a good test. I think Columbia is, is a good team to start off the tournament with if you're a title contender. I completely agree with you. I had always been bullish on Columbia this year. I thought it sucks because they're in the Ivy League, so it's hard for them to you know garner a lot of rankings points during the regular season just based on the matchups they have. But a gr- very tough out for the Buckeyes. You know, it's always said Ohio State outdoors. That's why they haven't won a national title thus far. That to me, that's obviously not true. Uh, when you're making as many finals as they do, just because you don't win the title doesn't mean your team's not capable of outdoor success. Um, but, but I guess, you know, Chris, looking at, uh, this team, one thing I'm certain 
people who follow Ohio State tennis, the bottom of that lineup, Cobelt, Tubert, Trotter. Indoors, you know, Cobelt with his size being a lefty, no-brainer decision. Indoors, Tubert, his serve, just his veteran presence at the bottom of the lineup, no-brainer decision. Do you think there's any doubt now creeping into Ty's mind after, you know, seeing the results the way they played out? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I would expect that there is. And, and I mean, it's, it's going to be really hard to pull Cobelt, right? He's like, I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I saw, I was, I was reading Bobby's notes, right? And I think he's in real quick, nine of his last, like, yeah, he's one or something. Yeah. One la- nine of his last 10, 20 and two on the season. Yeah. So the guy's 20 and two on the season. How do you pull him? But I don't know. And I don't know what the mix of indoor outdoor. There's clearly going to be more indoor than there is outdoor uh, on on that resume, but but yeah, he lost four and three uh, to Tim Wong. So the I think at least in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, maybe. But if he pulls him right, he's got to slide Tubert up to five. My guess is at that point he pulls Siebert, who's listed at seven, and plays Trotter at six. So. My guess is they go Tuber Trotter if they were to pull him, but I don't think you pull him. I mean, he had he, he lost one match. Uh, I I think he you know you've ridden the guy all year. He's he's gone twenty and two. He, it's it'd be really hard to to pull him now. So so I I think there's probably some you know some some thinking about it, but I don't I don't think you can pull him. Yeah, I mean, Luca, you've played on teams that have had that sort of uh, where you have so much talent at the bottom of the lineup that it's hard to say, okay, this is my rock solid five and six. I guess for the Buckeyes, given the season they've had, the only losses have come in matches where they didn't have JJ. You look at their stats on the year, obviously so impressive, 32 and two and 32 and two in doubles points as well. I mean, at that point, I guess it's tough to say, to go into the mind of Ty Tucker of all people, but what do you what do you do? Do you ride out the senior? Do you ride what's what what's been working, or do you like when you know coaches kind of tinker on a matchup per matchup basis? Yeah, I mean personally, I I think that that would be a massive mistake if they were to pull Cobelt, um, just because I think Boyden is probably going to be favored regardless if it's Cobelt or Tubert. Sure. Then you get a guy like Siebert coming to the lineup, who's according to Bobby's thing completed two matches on the season. Um, and so then all of a sudden not be playing too many matches and then you go and play in an elite eight, um, you know, in different conditions playing outdoors. I don't know. I don't think it would help their chances at all. Cause again, I think Borden's looking good at five and then you get somebody who gives either Sundergaard or, or Tiger probably, uh, I would probably give them like a 55, 45% chance for UNC to get that point as well. So I don't know if it would be the best move by Tucker and I doubt that he would do it uh, personally, but. Uh, obviously, you know, time will tell. No, that's exactly why I wanted you on this podcast to talk about that lineup decision. I'm also happy you talked about the lineup decisions facing the Tar Heels because that's obviously the other side of this equation. I feel like we know a lot that there is to know about the Buckeyes, so we can kind of uh, move on from here. I mean, for UNC, I would argue they had the most impressive performance of that round of 16 weekend to go into USC, beat them 4-1 the way they did, take the doubles point after not having, you know, a ton of success in double. I guess they're 21-5 and on the year in doubles, so uh, pretty good. But to do it at USC, obviously very impressive. And then you look at it from singles. You know, they didn't even get a win from Boyden, and they still win this match. Three and four, Peck and Cernok seem to be finding their stride. Uh, Cernok in particular, 3-6-7-6-7-6 win. Obviously incredibly impressive. And then, uh, you know, even better for them, Seguin at two doing his thing. But Will Blumberg really having an impressive performance 
Simmons uh, winning that uh, six foreign doubles with Boyd in up five two in the third before his match is able to finish. I mean, Luca, you you've gone up against the Blumbergs, the Seguins, the uh, Sondergaards, and even though they've never won a national title, they're unique players who have that finals experience. How tough is this UNC team coming into this quarterfinal round? I think they're really good, man, and I think they actually match up very well against Ohio State. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, Blumberg um, and Boyden and Sondergaard and a few of those guys, even Peck, who I don't think was in the lineup in 2017. These guys are experienced. They know what it, what it feels like to play deep into May. Um, and just in terms of matchups, I think that UNC, UNC has a good chance to knock this off. Uh, personally, I actually think that they're going to, they're going to pull the upset. Um, obviously, like it would take, it would take a hell of an effort, but in terms of matchups, um, if you're cool with us going through them now, um, just because I feel like Blumberg and Wolf, again, Blumberg is, if there's anybody that can beat Wolf, Blumberg has beaten him, beat him before. And then also he's just super talented. Um, obviously getting healthier and healthier, had a good weekend last weekend and being up five, two in the third against Hope. So while he's not a favorite by any means, if there's anybody that can pull it, that upset, I think Will is one of the guys. Um, Seguin's a very strong number two. Um, I think he's probably favored slightly against McNally. That's kind of a toss up. Um, Peck and Seelig is going to be a war at three. Um, I might give Seelig a slight edge at three. And then Cernok winning a sixth and a third at USC is going to be a massive confidence boost. And um, Joyce obviously is also very, very experienced, has been in so many big situations for them. Um, but that's got to be a 50-50. I'm actually going to lean UNC at four. Um, I Like I said earlier, I think Boyden um, is favored at five, regardless if it's Tubert or Cobalt. And then if they keep Tubert at six, I'll give him the edge over Sundergaard or Tiger. Um, so I don't know, man. I think I think UNC's got the squad to make this happen. And there's a t- I agree with so much of what you said. This matchup, there's just so many intriguing singles uh, matches. Even I mean, the headline match: JJ Wolf versus Will Blumberg. JJ Wolf's season in 2019 as impressive and as any in the history of college to this point in the year. But he goes up in a guy, Will Blumberg's a former NCAA singles finalist. He's a guy who lost, I think, one dual match during the 2017 season when they make the finals. He understands what it takes to get it done, you know, in that national title match. Him and, not to rub it in, Luca, him and Robert beat you guys in doubles. He gets that win in singles. So, yeah, yeah, that's a primetime performer. I love the point you made at four singles. Uh, Cernok going up against Joyce. I think Joyce... You know, not the same, but does a lot of similar things as Riley Smith. So for Cernok to have that matchup the week before, very beneficial for him. I mean, Seguin and McNally is just going to be two big ballers who, you know, they're they're going for their shots. They're hitting big forehands. There's a lot of backswing in that match. Uh, I, I mean, Chris, what, what about what are your thoughts on this match calculus? Man, it's it's, it's really it's really close, and I you know. I want to pick North Carolina just because I love upsets and I love picking, you know, I, I don't like seeing the same people in there all the time. Right? <laughs> but, but the, but I, man, here, here's my issue. Carolina for them to win at six is going to be a miracle. They've laid eggs the last two matches with two different guys, right? I mean, Sondergaard got destroyed by Blake Kreuter one and one Kiger gets destroyed by more bullets three and two they're a huge underdog at six. Okay. So whoever Ohio state plays, and I actually think I have a, I have a, 
I kind of think they might Tubert one, so maybe they play him, but they could play Trotter at six. But th- at six, Ohio State's going to be favorite. I just can't bet against JJ Wolf. I know, Blumberg's good, and I loved watching play. And he's the one guy. He's the kind of guy that could give, in my mind, that that you know his game style. He's going to get in. He's going to take the ball early, and he's not going to let. I mean, Wolf just pushes people all over the place, and he's not going to let that happen. So that if he's hitting his ball. He's it's going to be it'll be a dogfight, but I'm still not going to bet against Wolf. So and, and then they've lost two doubles points all year. So I kind I mean, I got to give the favorite to Ohio State at dubs one and six. But I actually make Carolina a favorite at two, three, four and five. So wow. that being said, I think they almost have to win. You know, I, I think they're going to have to win two, three, four and five to beat them. It's going to be. It's, I mean, it's going to be tough, but and obviously they could swing that just by Blumberg. You know, I don't think they're going to win six, but but Blumberg could beat JJ or Carolina could take the doubles point. I mean, they're no slouch in doubles either. So, um, but I think on on paper, I I kind of think that that two through five is is where they need to get it. But I I think they'll be, you know, I think they'll be favorites at at all of those spots. One thing I think we've underplayed, this Ohio State team, I, we were in Chicago, Chris. We saw what they did at the indoors. They were the best indoor team. Now, I, I kind of uh, mentioned this earlier, but Luca, this myth of Ohio State you know, not being as tough competitively at, outdoors, we can throw that out the window, right? Yeah, I mean, you can throw it out the window. And they, last year, got to the finals. The year before that, they had us on the brink in the semis. Um, I think that might have been more true five years ago. Um, but this team can play outdoors. Now, I think, obviously, the conditions are not going to be in their favor because Orlando, like I said, is slow. It's going to be very hot, but it's not like this team can't play outdoors. I mean, this is the number one team all season for a reason. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and as you mentioned, you look at it from a matchup basis, that doubles point going to be so important. I mean, the only team's record that really stands out as average is the two doubles team of UNC. They're 8-7, and seven. that's Cernock and Seguin. I mean, McNally and Tubert, 21-0 and 0 at 3. These guys are just so good, and I think the, the success they've had all year, it obviously speaks to that, but... It could come down to one doubles, and like again, you're gonna get bet against Ben uh, or against Bo Boyden and Will Blumberg, who have as much experience as anyone. I think Blumberg, you could make an argument. You've seen you know training videos of him with the Bryans. We know his talent is as talented of a doubles player as anyone in the country. So that's just gonna be a dogfight. I don't know. You guys have kind of made it clear which way you're leaning, but we'll end here. Money on the line. Give me your pick, Luca. We'll start with you. I'm going. Carolina 4-3. Oh, do they take the doubles point? They do. Yeah, I think they'll split two and three. I think although Cernok and Seguin or whatever have been average this year, I think they win at two. I think Ohio State takes it at three, and there's no way in hell I can go against Blumberg at one doubles. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to go Carolina. Yeah, Carolina with the doubles point. I'll give um, Boyden a win at five, Cernok a win at four. And I'll go um, – damn, that's tough. I will go with Blumberg and win at one. I love it. I feel like that's the prediction you have to make if you see UNC winning. Chris, give it to me. 
I'm, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'll take Ohio State 4-3. Wow. I, think, I think they win two and three dubs. I'm not, I don't know that they get one, but I do think they'll get two and three dubs for the dubs point. And then, like I said, I'll take J.J. at one and, and whoever they play at six. And then I don't have a clue who's going to find it at two, three, four, five, but one guy is going to find a win in there somewhere and, and, and get it. And it, maybe it's C-League over Peck. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of third sets in this one for sure. I'm going to have to lean. It's funny, UTR Power 6, North Carolina, a little bit higher. I'll take the Buckeyes. Carolina upset Wake two years ago, and they were an 8 versus 1. That's a very good point. Uh, but this Buckeyes team is different. It really is. I mean, J.J. Wolf at the top of the lineup is not to be trifled with. I say they, like Chris, Ohio State takes two and three doubles, so they get that doubles point. Tubert at six, I love. I'll take uh, Selig at three. Uh, McNally with the clinch, 4-2 in the third, or 4-2 overall, and Buckeyes move on to live another day. I cannot right. believe you just took McNally. <laughs> Well, truth be told, I'll give you a little hint by the scene. I have him coming on later in the week. So in case he hears this beforehand. Then I get to hear the hook story yet again. (laughs) (laughs) We can clarify. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you'll love that. But all right, with that, let's move on to our next round. We've got two more to go. Westoff, if you could, cue the clock, please. I feel like we've been kind of accurate with the clock. We haven't gone over too much. Chris, this is nothing. And Luke, honestly, you guys are both veterans. You know what to expect at this point. But let's get into this next match because you could argue this is the most— I mean, they're all fascinating, but just the dichotomy in rosters and uh, composition of these teams could make for the most fascinating contrast in style. Uh, number three, Florida, survives by the—you th- know, just barely survives— uh, over Tennessee in the round of 16-4-2. They win the doubles point in that match, uh, go up in singles, have a bunch of chances to close out a bunch of different matches, and then they just kind of kept throwing it away, I think, uh, for at number six singles. Greif served for the match in the second set and played a tiebreaker. I know Vale broke for 4-3 up. He broke for 5-4 up. Both players in that match had match points. Oliver Crawford uh, lost his second set after being up a break. So that Florida team... A really shocking performance. I, I mentioned it last time, Luca. It reminds me a lot of your 2014 team because this is just a team. It's feeling its way out in these early rounds, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, also like playing in a Sweet 16 against a team that you just lost to isn't easy. But they have a lot of talent in this lineup, and I just I don't know what it is about them. I was really big before the tournament on, on Florida, and I just feel like maybe they have too much talent that they haven't been able to necessarily manage that well because I don't know if guys are necessarily playing their best tennis right now and you ideally look for that in May. Yeah, the encouraging result, Andy Andrade gets a win in that Tennessee match. Obviously, he... Uh, you don't want to, you know, choked is always a very harsh wor- harsh word, but he had so many chances in his SEC match against Tennessee. You have to feel good for him. Uh, you mentioned it when we talked, Luca. You mentioned it as well, Chris, throughout the year. Alfredo Perez finding his best tennis at this point of the season. He plays number three singles in this match, beats Scott Jones, seven five six three. Chris, uh, and, and then Luca, I want your take afterwards as well. If you're Coach Shelton, what sort of pressure do you feel with Johannes Inglidson? Because it, it's very, very interesting. Perez at three, I mean, he's playing just such outstanding tennis. I don't think he feels any pressure. I think that was, 
I think that was solely a decision based off the fact that Scotty Jones just played him, you know, like your little brother that's a gnat all over <laughs> on the tennis court in the SEC tournament. And they probably wanted no part of that rematch. And uh, I, I'm, I would be a guess that we're going to see Ingleson back in the lineup at, at three because I, I actually think that's a fairly good matchup for him with Boyton. Ingleton manages his game really well. Yeah, everybody wants to pick on his forehand, uh, but but he's a guy that puts a lot of balls in play. And Boyton's a big hitter that's going to go for it. And it's going to you know it's going to be one of those. Can he keep putting the ball back to before Boyton hits a winner or or make him miss? But I I think he'll be back in the lineup. Alfredo's looking really really good, so you drop him back down to four. And if for no other reason than the fact that also, you know, obviously they've got a ton of talent, but Greif, Greif was up with a set in three love maybe on, yeah. on Rogers, a match that, you know, he, there's no way he should have lost to Rogers to begin with. And then he, and then he cut he, and he ends up dropping that match. Um, and you know, they'll, they'll just push it back down, get volley back down to six. Um, and I think, I think that's what we'll see from them. Uh, I don't think there's any worries uh, about Engelson, the guy I'd, be a little more worried about is, is Crawford because I I think he's he's nursing a little bit uh, of an ankle um, and I don't know how much of it a factor that played uh, you know he he won the first set I think over Stoddard then dropped the second they were in the third at maybe four all when they got suspended but uh, but uh, you know but but it's also for them matchup wise in this match that's relative to the strength of the guys at their position everywhere else in the lineup, that's the weak spot for Baylor, right? It's hard. I mean, Shredder's had a great year, but relative to everybody else at their position, you know, he's a weaker one than anybody else is a two through six. So you, you got to feel like Florida's got to win that. Uh, they've got to win that spot. Uh, but everything yeah. else is, I mean, it's it, Florida's deep, but so is, I mean, that, that's Baylor's strength, right? They're deep too. So yeah, it's definitely going to be a coin flip match. On the last point on the Florida thing, Luca, uh, you you look at this team and you know they're twenty four and three on the year, but only nineteen and eight in doubles points. So they you know five times they've survived losing the doubles point. Uh, but how difficult is it in the NCAs to play a match? You know the one that comes to mind right away that Ohio State match. You guys played your senior year. You lose the doubles point there. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you find four singles matches. But just how difficult for a team is it when you go, at, you know, latest rounds of the NCAA is down 1-0 quickly? Yeah, I think it's really tough, and it's going to be especially hard um, for a team that has uh, high expectations like Florida does. Um, I think there is no secret that they're, they have what it takes to win. They have the players to win in terms of talent. Um, so if they were to get in a hole, lose a doubles point and go down one zero, obviously it only makes the pressure so much tougher to deal with. Um, and there is obviously less room for error. So that's just my concern with them is in terms of a matchup standpoint, I think Baylor's super strong in doubles. So I wouldn't be surprised if they won the doubles point. And then it sort of heats up in terms of pressure and you get certain guys who have either, you know, been blowing leads in the last couple of matches. Um, you know, you get a, a couple of guys. You know, necessarily. Again, I think Riffitz, for example, he he took a a beating uh, last weekend, right? Yeah. Yep. So again, that only complicates things if you go down one zero. You have the expectation, and then you've got just a trend of some guys having trouble closing matches. It's just all these things that um, you know heighten the moment. And so 
uh, in terms of a matchup, how good Baylor is in doubles and then how deep they are. And there aren't necessarily too many luck spots for Florida uh, looking up and down the lineup. I think um, the doubles point is going to be a lot more important for Florida than you would um, than you would think, uh, obviously, with how, how talented they are in singles. Well, that's the flip side, right, is for this Baylor team, they are just so solid one through six. And it's the exact opposite where Florida's youthful talent – you know, you've got so many seniors littered through the Baylor lineup or upperclassmen. I mean, no, this Baylor team hasn't made an NCAA semifinal, and obviously this is their first year under coach Brian Boland. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Luca, you talk about that depth, right? That that senior presence, that, that means something. For sure, for sure. And um, I think on top of that, just from my experience in working with Boland, I think he's going to soak up the opportunity to be an underdog in this matchup and he's gonna probably get into the get into the team's heads to try to hunt Florida as much as they can. Um and I think obviously like I mentioned, Florida is, is very, very talented and probably favored. So Baylor's probably gonna go in swinging, um, feeling a lot less pressure just from, you know, what I remember Brian being like. So it's gonna be interesting. I think Florida has to start out strong and they have to try to find a way to manage some of those emotions and, and anxieties and be able to um, try to execute uh, from the first ball or else it's going to be an uphill battle from the beginning. And Chris, for Baylor uh, last weekend, they beat UCLA 4-1. They did exactly what you have to do against Baylor or against UCLA. You win that doubles point. You understand Smith and Cressy are going to, you know, give you all they have that one and two but you just got to manage the storm at the bottom of the lineup and that's exactly what they did you know uh i think it was bellamy for ucla got the second set over bendick at six uh ucla had made you know i think goldberg was up a break at five before losing that i think at four singles it was a second set breaker so ucla certainly made a push and you know baylor as a veteran team does at home they weathered the storm now, you can definitely argue, as we have, that the Florida upside higher with all of the talent they have. But, you know, for this Baylor team, they certainly have a, a recipe for what I suppose we would call an upset win, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've got, I mean, they're, they're definitely going to be favored in doubles, right? So now, if, if they manage to get the doubles point, trying to find three singles wins in a lineup that's got, you know, five guys that are ranked in singles, uh, you know, you're, you're you're certainly not out of it. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, they. I mean, they're definitely going to be. They're going to be in some matches, and I think we're we're going to see a lot of three set matches here. I think. Yeah, and you look at some of the stats again. Shout out to our guy Bobby Knight at College Tennis Today, whose previews, with all due respect to both our Cracked Rackets team and you, Chris, are second to none. Um, puts together all these stats for them. Uh, Matthias Soto's won his four, last four completed matches. Boyten, eight of his last nine. Will Little, six of his last seven. Sven La, six straight, 14 of 16. Ben Deck, eight of his last nine completed. This is a 25-5 and five team that you know lost to Texas during the regular season, but then beats them in the conference tournament final. They obviously have a coach who, uh, one of the few with his the national uh, title experience in Brian Boland. He always knows what to do to coax the best out of his team come may uh it's that time of this preview luca give me a pick all right i'm actually gonna go Baylor four two uh, is this a boland pick did he call you actually, is it, it, it isn't no he, he didn't and uh, no he's not he doesn't have a gun to my head uh, but um <laughs> I, I just again i think that they're favored in doubles i think that that's you know if they do get the doubles point um 
I think it's going to change the dynamics of, of the match. Uh, Florida has a bunch of young guys who haven't necessarily um, played with a target on their back. And I personally think that um, I'll go with Sven Law winning at five. Um, I think, again, I'm not sure Richards is going to have to turn around. He's obviously an unbelievable player, but he got he had a bad performance last weekend. I think Soto's been playing well, so I'll give them a win at two, and I'll also give them a win at three. Um, I think six will go unfinished, and I think Crawford beats Shredder at one. Ooh, I... I... Here's the thing, and just real quick, and then Chris, I promise I'll give it to you. For Soto, so far in the NCAA tournament, he was down versus Miles Shallot, but that's a senior who was playing his best tennis in his last match uh, in that Michigan match. And then against Keegan Smith, I mean, Keegan Smith is so good. So, you know, you take that with a grain of salt as well. But I don't know, Riffis has lost three of his last four, and I think he's dealing with a little bit of an injury as well. But yeah, that's the middle of this line. I mean, two through six, that's where Baylor makes their bread and butter, and that they're doing it without Juan Benitez, without Roy Smith this year. It speaks to you know the strength of that team culture, of everyone buying in and understanding that despite that, they still have an incredibly talented team. I'm going to take another you know 30 seconds to buy some time. Chris, your thoughts? So I think Baylor wins the doubles point. I mean, I uh, Florida has been rough all year. They did manage to get it with, against Tennessee in the last one with the you know with with the new doubles pairings. But Baylor's got to be favored. So so I'll give them the the doubles point. I don't know whether Riffis goes unfinished or, or not, but he definitely is not. You know whether it's because he's he's ailing or or he's just not playing great. He's not playing great. Soto Soto is. Uh, I still and I love Soto's game. So. So I think Baylor may get that point, but I re- I like Florida at one, four, five, and six. Uh, so I think even if they drop the doubles point, uh, Croft- Crawford wins. Um, per- Perez over uh, over Little, Andrade over uh, uh, at five over Svenla, and then Vale at six. So I- I'll I'll say it's four two Florida. See, that's why I want to slightly disagree with you from earlier, Luca. I think the doubles point is so important for Baylor because if you give Florida that 1-0 lead, you know, now you're staring down the ba- uh, the barrel of so much talent. Duarte Valle at 6, with all due respect to Jimmy Bendek, who is just a scrapper, you know, such a fighter at 6, the exact sort of, you know, senior you want in the position. Valle's got weapons, right? He's going to have chances to attack, so you like him there. Perez at four. I mean, we, you, we've talked about how great he's been during his college career, so you love that matchup for them. I love Shredder, another guy I'm interviewing later this week. So I, that one singles matchup is just going to be physically a battle. Uh, you don't want to play Johannes Shredder if your body's hurting. Uh, I picked the Gators to win the national title in that little tennis recruiting piece, so I have to stick with them, right? Uh my mind, I don't know. Personally, my mind has changed a lot after um, the Sweet 16 matches and just in general what's yeah. been going on in the tournament. That's so true. That's the thing, though. Tennessee, they shook Florida. Florida, you could tell from watching the stream the way the score was going, Vale, Crawford, Greif, when they were the last ones on court, they were struggling with nerves. You know, you felt the tightness, that Vale match. You know, both guys double faulting, missing second serve returns. It was sloppy tennis. It could work both ways for Florida, though, because, again, Tennessee could just be that one team that, you know, makes it miserable for them. And then, obviously, they 
they get through, they, they take an L in the tournament, in the SEC tournament, and then they get over that hump in the NCAAs, and they finally are like, okay, we got rid of Tennessee. We know we're not going to have to play them the rest of the year, and they, and they you know, relax. So that could very well be the case as well. Yeah, it's very true. Um, uh, I love Coach Boland. I also obviously love the Florida Gators this year. I'll stick with the Gators. I'll take them 4-3. Baylor gets the doubles point. Yeah, I like it. Crawford, Perez, Andrade, Valle. Uh, we can go with that. I'm in. I think if Florida gets the doubles point, Baylor's in a lot of trouble, but I think Baylor will get it. So, yeah, I'll, I agree. 4-3, Baylor. All right, with that, let's move on to our final region. And, Luca, I really do appreciate you sticking around as long as you have. Yeah, Alex, I, I actually was going to say I probably need to get going because I have 11 minutes to make it to the basketball court. Yeah. Um, You're too kind to us. Yeah, so if you guys don't mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the next one out, but I'm sure um, you know we can we can text later, and I can give you my picks. Um, oh, real uh, quick, my picks. for the fans, Texas TCU, who you got? I got Texas four one. Oh, I love it. Well, we will litigate, Luca. Thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck to you while hooping. Hopefully, you do better than the Knicks in the lottery. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping for a double-double tonight. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, of course. Take care. Uh, um, but all right, with that in mind then, Chris, and thank you again to Luca for uh, taking the time to appear on the podcast. It is our last region. Perhaps it's fitting that Luca uh, ditched us now because now you can get uh, your time to vent, to grieve, to do whatever you have to do uh, to get off the or to get over your Mississippi State Bulldogs losing to number 10 TCU because that is the matchup we will be talking about last. Number 2 Texas versus number 10 TCU, a Big 12 battle. Westoff, if you could, cue the last clock for us. All right, Chris, we'll start with the obvious thing. I'm not even going to talk. You have three to 35 minutes. Talk me through TCU, Mississippi State. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, I mean, hey, hats off to TCU, right? I mean, we we got what we wanted, which was with all the impending weather, we got the outdoor match, and and they beat us outdoors. I mean, fair and square. There's no griping over calls. There was no, oh, you know, this or that. It was, I mean – they 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 just they flat up weathered the the storm that we brought after losing the doubles point. So so TCU takes the doubles point and and fairly convincing fashion. They went pretty easy on three, and then they got a break that they just couldn't that they didn't give back uh, uh, late in the set on on one. But uh, they took the dubs point. But then we come out uh, we come out strong in singles. We're up a break on four different courts. Actually, at five at one point, uh, Trevor was up a break as well. That that he that he gave back but the rain came in that was expected and they halted midway through the first set and at that point two matches are on serve and four of them uh were up a break we come back a couple hours uh of a a rain delay and there's a break in the weather and it looks like we're gonna be able to get the the whole match in they get the courts dry in great shape we come back out and we actually start good we get up uh we make a good quick run and get three of the sets pretty quickly uh, and then three of them are all late, like on, on serve late, and 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 they all three go the other way, which kind of started the uh oh, this this could be trouble, right? So we lose two of them seven five, and one of them seven six, um, and to to give them. So now we know we got to win a three setter, but but then even at that, we uh, we push three of the matches to three set. We we get Nuno and Strali win in straights. Nuno played just unbelievable against Rybakov, uh, one and four. 
and then and Strali actually played great against Stalder too. They they both got off fairly quickly. Broska had a match point and a breaker in the second that he didn't get to to go three, but we're up two one at that point. And then Broska goes three. Uh, Nick and Geo end up getting their second sets to go three. Trevor drops uh, five and three, I think, to to Famba, five and three or five and four, and and so it's it's two all with three matches going to the third set, and you know you're you're home. It's that you got to pull it out, and and they you know and they took it to us. I tell you, Kruger and Kruger and Gray just played phenomenal. Uh, third sets Kruger took Nick out and Gray Gray went down at one point uh, I, I was semi late I'm thinking I think it actually I think it was five three he goes down in a stumble uh, and it was splits open his chin yes yeah, splits his chin open uh, it was five three I believe 15 or 15 all yeah yeah has to take a uh, like a 10 minute break yeah. Being timeout. Yeah. And at that point, we're watching the other match going, hell, they may not even get back on court again because the other match uh, had, a, had a shot of TCU closing closing it out on, on three, six. five, deuce point, match point, right? Yeah, exactly. And Broska gets his point to make it four, five and extend it. And then Gray comes back out and then just rips off the first three points, I think, to, to win the match. Uh, but I mean, he, and he played, he played phenomenal. I mean, they, they took our best shot and, and, and they beat us. And, you know, there's not, not much you can, that's, that's about all you can do. I mean, here, here's the big thing for me from the Mississippi state perspective, because, and we'll just do this real quick. Uh, I mean, they, they used all of their boosts to make that push, right? At that, once the rain delay was over, once they got back out on court. And they made a great, you know, they started using that push at, right after the doubles point, obviously to lose the doubles point, not something that they could have afforded to happen or really not something they wanted to happen uh, and not something they were expecting either. And then, you know, they were up breaks on a lot of courts. I think on all six singles courts at one point, they were up a break. Then obviously TCU makes a little bit of push to end those first sets. I believe TCU ends up winning three first sets uh, and then they split the other three. But um, then, you know, to make that push for Florin to come back, win that second set for uh, for Nick to come back, make that second set, for Gio to come back, win that second set. That was, you know, that was all of the energy you have in TCU. Eventually, they're going to get on a, a momentum run themselves. They're going to make a push. They were just that much better in the end. And you talk about that one singles match, Nuno Rybakov, you know, all credit to Nuno because he played one hell of a match. You could tell this was a senior on his last match on the job. Just such a pleasure to get to watch him uh, play again in that team environment. But for TCU, they have to be thrilled to get the doubles point. They have to be thrilled to see Burtis Kruger find some success after struggling down the home stretch. Famba find some su- success. Alistair Gray find some success. And now they get a matchup against the Texas team who, you know, thus far in the tournament, yeah, they lost the doubles point in their second round match versus USF, but kind of cruise through Cal, cruise through USF 4-1, cruise through Tennessee Tech 4-0. They've matched up once in the regular season. TCU lost the affair 6-1, but in that match, TCU won the doubles points, and there were four matches that went to third sets in singles. I mean, this is going to be a barn burner, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think we're going to have a lot of close matches. I don't think it's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't anticipate another 6-1 type of type of match i think uh you know and you've gotta you've gotta like uh granted discard what happened with nuno you gotta like ribakoff at one 
Uh, and it, and they're, they are definitely playing some better doubles. Now, if they, if they can get that doubles point and they get the point from, from Rybakov at one, uh, I mean, Alistair Gray is playing phenomenal. Now, Ito is just a, I mean, just a phenomenal to it for Texas. So it's going to be tough to win it too. But, uh, but the way Gray's playing, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I could easily see that being, being a three set match. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think the, the three match is interesting because I think it's kind of Stalder's not playing great right now, but that's not Texas's strong spot. Yeah, but it's not Texas's strong spot either with Telus. Uh, so, um, you know, I I I think that's a that's an interesting match. But yes, I mean, I think Stalder is kind of that's that's the sore spot for them right now, and he just kind of you know even it wasn't just that he he didn't look like he was not playing great and he, he showed some flashes but kind of when he got when he got in the he had lost some momentum if you will he just looked defeated and he kind of I mean he just kind of had that look like like he's he's just he knows he doesn't have it kind of thing so I don't I don't hold a lot of hope out for him there even though uh, I think it's a winnable match but I do think Texas will win uh, they'll win at three uh, but uh, I mean Kruger played he played phenomenal uh, at four he you know that was the the one thing that I did see on that on that court which is going to be a little different match you know playing Nick versus playing Harrison Scott it's going to be two different matches Scott's going to beat the snot out of the ball and and Nick's going to sit back and grind with you all day and and the and that might be a little tough. It might be a tough spot for Kruger just because they were, he and Nick were, were kind of just trading breaks all day. It, the serve was not, was not a, a monster advantage uh, in that match. And, and he's going to have a much tougher time breaking Scott. So if he's given up breaks, uh, that could be a tough spot for, for TCU. But, and then Fama, I mean, Fama was just like we saw him at indoors was just hitting bombs. Uh, and so that's going to be, that'll be a very, very interesting match with Marcus at five. Um, and then we'll see who Texas plays at six. Do they play Banjo? Do they play Wong? But they'll get Sanders Young. Um, I, I think in the end, Texas probably just has too much, but I, but I still think TCU can get dubs. They can get one. They can, they could get another one in there. Uh, and obviously they could win the match, but I think it's more likely I, I'd kind of lean to probably a four, two, maybe four, three Texas win. But I think, I think in the end, uh, down low, it may just be, it may be too tough from Texas. You look for this TCU team when they beat, or when they won the doubles point against Texas earlier in the year, it was at TCU in Fort Worth, that environment being what it is, that obviously means something, I agree with you, given the veteran experience of this Texas lineup, given how solid they are, one through six, it's going to be really hard for TCU to find a way to win if they can't get that doubles point. I, again, the Rybakov match last week was the exception, not the rule, because Nuno played that well. It sucks because in Alistair Gray, the number 28 player in the country, a particularly tough matchup against Ito. Ito beat him 4-2 and two in the dual match, one of the few straight set matches. Tellis in the dual match also beat Stalder 3-5, and five, so yeah, it's tough there. I mean, for Restalder, the the big thing is, can he and Burtis Kruger perform in the doubles even if that's all Reese can give them if all he gives them is a doubles win and Rybakov and Gray who have a tough matchup and Scott and Siskard can do their thing 
I mean, yeah, TCU definitely has a chance. All of these teams are so talented. It really just will come down to who wins the deuce points on those days, who's able to weather those Orlando conditions that much better. Uh, it sounds like you're leaning, you said, Texas 4-2. Give me, give, give me your firm pick. Do they win? Give me the recipe. Yeah, I think I think TCU gets dubs. I think TCU gets Rybakov. So I, I think that's their two. Uh, and then I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that that Gray actually goes unfinished. Uh, and then I'll say Texas. I'll say Texas gets three, four, five, and six. Uh, I can't just keep picking. Well, I picked Florida last time, even though we didn't have an interview with them. I had interviews with TCU. I mean, all these. This is what makes this NCAA so fun: is the margins are just so thin. Any team really could win, and I'd believe it. I'm gonna say TCU takes the doubles point. I'm going to say Rybakov wins. I'm going to say Bertis Kruger wins. Uh, yeah, give me Texas 4-3, but then Texas. Ah, yeah, I'll take Texas 4-3, I suppose. They lose doubles point, but they get it done at 2-3, I guess 5-6. and six. Uh, Yeah, that, that seems like the recipe. I don't know. I, as you can tell, I struggled on all of these picks all episode long. I'm also just trying to cover my bases now because I know. You know, people are listening. I don't want to get anyone mad. It's very clear I'm easily corrupted. So, so much for being a Democrat, right? Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I don't know. That That's all the rounds. Any uh, final thoughts? I mean, we went about an hour, of course, which is what you can expect. Feels like we're short. Am I missing anything coming into the weekend? No, I don't I don't think we're missing anything. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a great weekend. They'll wrap. The, they'll get a day's rest, right? So everybody plays Thursday. We'll get a a day off uh all the women will play friday and then saturday will be the semi sunday the finals and uh and i'll be look and and obviously we get some good tennis i'll be interested to see how the how the coverage works out uh you know i think they're covering the two night matches on thursday if i'm not mistaken so that'll be our first glimpse at to kind of what that coverage looks like and you know are they going to are they going to stick primarily to one court? Or are we going to get a view of, of everything? Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how they do it. If it's going to be any different than kind of what they did for the college match day type stuff during the year. Yeah, this this feels like a uh, we're out of time and we're running out of topics, but I swear this is a relevant question. Weather-wise, do you expect we're going to have to go indoors at all? You know, I, I haven't looked to see if uh, – I mean – if there's anything in the forecast, it, I mean, it, it rains there like a hundred days a year. So it's, <laughs> that is it's some likely, expert analysis. You know, it's likely that they're going to get rain at some point. Uh, but they, it's also not generally the kind of place that gets, you know, all day rain like we might get mm-hmm. here. I mean, it's, it's, it's a shower here, dry it off, get back out and play. So uh, I don't know that we'll see any like complete rain out days. Like say we had last year where every match, you know, the first uh, for the sweet 16 was forced indoors at, at you know, at Wake, North Carolina. I don't think we'll get that kind of rain, but we, we could get the kind where, Hey, one match goes in and then we come back out and the next three are outdoors or they play one and one goes in and the next two are outdoors kind of thing that that could happen just with a shower popping up and it, you know, over, over the course of four days, it's probably almost inevitable that it 
that they get a they get a shower at some point, uh, and it's just a matter of are they willing to how willing are they going to be to wait it out because they do have the option down there, right? I think we've even we saw the the interesting thing is so they scheduled the matches at two hour interval, like the first two are like twelve and two, right? But they're actually on twelve different courts, so. I think the the first match plays courts one through six and the second match plays seven through 12. So they have the option, you know, they don't, they don't have to rush indoors right away because with the late matches, even though those two late matches could get played on the same courts, they have the option to run them simultaneously with due to the courts they have down there. So they could wait out a shower, a couple hours, you know, dry the courts off and then play both matches at the same time. Uh, And I would think that would be preferable, you know, in trying to stay outdoors as, as much as they can. Uh, so, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. I completely agree with you. Well, then the last thing I want to talk about, how will you be watching? I'm not sure. Are there playside streams available? I know the tennis channel is picking it up. And then not only how will you be watching and how can our fans be watching, Chris, but also chances you and I get the call up to do a little uh, color action for tennis channel this weekend. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think we're gonna get to see uh, us doing any commentary, unfortunately. Yeah, but I bet we see Luca. You think? Ah, uh, no, maybe. But I'm just saying, if uh, you know, if they're ever gonna do. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I, I will be watching. I'll definitely be watching the tennis channel cover to see what it's like. But I will have the laptop in hand to uh, uh, to to see the. Uh, the live streams that they've got because there should be they do have the play site coverage there so there'll be play site uh and and we'll uh we'll be why i'll be standing for you know, even even when tennis channels on i'm sure they won't get you know we won't get like six courts at once on the on the tv so exactly. i'll definitely i'll definitely be watching it and and just to preface we are both very much pro tennis channel featuring uh college tennis it's just you and i are spazzes we're nerds we have to yeah I've got to pull up all six, you know, on a 32 inch TV, right. And be able to see them all. Yeah. That's just that that's something that's not feasible, uh, you know, from, a, you know, until we get to the, the point in, in time where somehow they, uh, they devote the money to college tennis, they would to the NFL where you get all the cameras and, and you get to pick, right. You get a different channel for each court or something, but yeah, that's just, you know, that's not going to happen. So yeah, they're going to do a great job. I'm sure of, of, of covering the, the overall match. And then for, for, watching some individual ones based on who i want to see i'll definitely be flipping around i agree and he'll deny this till he dies but the reason dalton's wedding ceremony is on friday instead of saturday is because he didn't want to miss the semifinal action uh so credit to uh, you know credit to him i suppose although someone was giving me gr- i mean properly giving me grief i won't reveal the source but they were saying you know if you guys were a hardcore organization you'd have planned the wedding around the uh nca finals to which i say you've never met the lovely hannah thieneman don't doubt. i'm sure she had all of that in mind um but all right chris you know as always as my shout out say we're excited for the thieneman wedding this weekend so i will not be in orlando but we will certainly uh be having you on the podcast to talk about all of the action as it transpires and listeners should know i'm sure we'll be doing daily recaps as that was really how Chris and I started. That's how this lovely bond was formed. Uh, but with that in mind, any any final thoughts, Chris? So you know, I, I texted you a picture. So this one's going to go out on Twitter, and, and obviously, <laughs> everyone's going to have to listen 
they're going to have to see the tweet and it'll just be the tease to force them to listen all the way through the podcast to get to this. But, you know, you had recently said, commented on, on, I think our last episode that it was like our one year anniversary. Right. And, <laughs> and I, of course, didn't know the date. So I thought of, you know, with all due respect, since I clearly didn't know our anniversary date, I, I needed to give you an anniversary gift. And what is the what is the appropriate anniversary gift for a one year anniversary? Well, it's paper. What would be a better choice of paper for you than toilet paper? And so I am blazing the Michigan logo on my roll of toilet paper just for you, Graskin, and sent it to you. Happy anniversary. Oh, I appreciate it. It's toilet paper for all of my garbage takes. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's the perfect thing. It's exactly what I need. Look, I remember our very first podcast. This was pre-microphone. Well, not pre-microphones, but I had to record using my headphones when we did interviews, and we all had to call West off. And I'm pretty sure I did it in my car. And we have come a long way since then, to say the least. Well, you know, the other thing I remember about that last uh, – that that first it was it was the first or second one last year because it was it was the same time uh, we were and 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 I'm doing the same thing again I will actually be and so so this is directed directly to you Brian Bolin since I know you're listening I will be <laughs> in Waco again at the beginning of June just like I was last year for a race and I remember last year it was like right after the announcement that Bolin had gotten a job and somehow I'm not really sure how I never got the invitation to come visit and and see him on <laughs> campus, but uh, but uh, you know I will be there again. Uh, I I'll, I would love to get that invitation. And actually, you know, I think what what should happen is Brian, you should fly Gruskin down since I'll already be there, and we'll do an <laughs> on location podcast uh, here. Uh, say. June Friday, June seventh, somewhere right around there, because I'll be there the, through the through the eighth, and, uh, and and we can do an on location podcast, and 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 Bowen can sell us on the whole Baylor uh, the Baylor campus and program, and give us the grand tour, uh, and then you know, and 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 maybe maybe you could even hook me up with some parking for my RV. <laughs> Not, not only that, perfect content for the offseason, uh, me versus Boland playing a set while you're doing your race. I think everyone wants to see who'd win that battle at this point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've already hung up the racket, but if I lose that, you know, if I could lose the coach, I don't know how I'd be able to play again. Uh, that, yeah, it's, I, something tells me that, that you know, uh, the coach— Coach is—he's not quite as old as me, but you know, it, once 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 we get past forty, there we definitely lost a step. So I don't know. I've seen him in those feeding drills. It's a tough forehand. It's a tough forehand. So we we uh, we'd have to see. You may have seen him in the feeding drills, but did you see he and Woodson in the video leading the kids in? Uh, <laughs> that, that, there's definitely a step lost there. Uh, sorry, Coach. <laughs> I've seen that video. That's really funny. The one, uh, yes, I'm not going to go any further, but that's really funny. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. My counterpoint, though, would be is you've never seen me play. So just, ugh, ugh, ugh. But on that note, shout out to our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, who have a f-
exciting job to do as always we have been keeping them busy all week long with our various uh, podcasts we've had a ton of great teammates uh, teammates team members come on from the various teams on our cracked interviews podcast go give that a listen if you've missed any of the action check out our website crackedrackets.com but with that being said for my wonderful co-host chris halioris whose action you will want to be and content you'll want to be following all weekend long at college tennis ranks for three uh three-time ncaa champion and doubles all-american luca corintelli thank you to him for joining us earlier in the podcast and for our super producers max flingner and daniel westoff i'm your host alex gruskin chris what do we tell our listeners hey great shot i love it and enjoy the ncaa weekend thanks everyone Thank you.